hello. Hey. Howdy. How's it going, everybody? Good. Not too bad. Good. Um, hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 12, A Baker's Dozen. No, <laughs> that's just a normal dozen. It's a baker's dozen. You think the bakers work on different dozens? I thought you said 11 is a baker's dozen, even uh, though it's 13. <laughs> episode 12, A Baker's Dozen. Uh, we watch movies and then talk about them. Uh, brought to you today on October 5th. We are in the throes of October now, everybody. When you're listening to this, we're recording this at the end of September. Yeah, I was really confused. I was like, uh, I don't think it's October yet. But when it comes out, makes sense. It will be October. Right in the middle of 31 days of October. Right at the start of 31 days of October. Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, again, welcome to episode 12 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. My name is Andrew Westensko. Oh, there's a spider. <laughs> there's actually a spider. Wait, this wait. isn't a false alarm. We just ran to the bathroom. Go kill it. No. Yeah, go I've kill killed it. the last two no, spiders in go this kill house. It. Heavens. It's your turn. Okay, we're going to pause this for a second. There actually is a spider. So there was actually a spider, and I did just go kill it. So, But we're back. Yeah, that really happened. Welcome back, everybody. Perfect way to start Thanks. out. 31 days of Halloween. 31 days of October. Kicking off strong with a spider in the podcast room. Um, again, my name is Andrew Westenscoe, and I am the host of this here podcast. I am joined on my right hand by Becca. Hey, it's me. And on my left hand by Sid. Hi. We sit at a circular table now. It's pretty great. Uh, this is the first episode of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, brought to you from the official We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them podcast studio. It's like we're legit. We're or legit now. Big time now. We are no longer at my parents' basement dining room table. But this basement has spiders. It's not really a basement, but it does have. Uh, it has one less spider now. That's true. So I'm just glad we caught it. And I'm glad that we caught it uh, away from my feet. Because I'm barefoot. Correct. Me too. Yeah. Like last time. We well, don't want that again. Yeah, exactly. Um, but welcome, everybody, uh, to episode 12. Today, we will be discussing the Babadook. 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 Duke. Duke. Thanks for letting me do it. I was scared <laughs> when you guys did it. Um, but yeah, so this movie came out in 2014, so we are still in that, uh, grace period, I think, where I warn you about spoilers. We will be discussing this movie at length with full spoilers, so if you don't want to have the movie ruined for you in any way, shape, or form without having seen it, uh, would we all recommend to give it a watch? absolutely okay yeah so go watch it and then come back and listen to our podcast about the babadook even for people who don't like scary movies go watch the babadook it's so good it's very good i'm gonna take a drink of coke all right (laughs) also on this episode of we watch movies and talk about them i brought down half of a snickers bar with full intention of eating it (laughs) But now we've already hit that record button, so it's just gonna have to wait till after. <laughs> so this be really noisy. This Snickers bar is just staring me in the face, guys. <laughs> I'm disappointed in myself. Um, the Babadook came out in 2014, written and directed by Jennifer Kent, 
starring, and when I say starring, I mean starring, um, Essie Davis as, what's her name? Amelia. Amelia. And then some other people doing other things, but, um, yeah, I don't really, uh, know anything about any of these people. Um, Let's see. Jennifer Kent played Lab Lady in Babe, Pig in the City. (laughs) I think that really put her foot in the door to be able to get into (laughs) that director's chair and, you know, make a movie like this. Um, Let's see. She directed a few things. Let's check it out here. The Nightingale in 2018, which I don't know anything about. And then some short films. So maybe we'll have to check out The Nightingale by Jennifer Kent. Well, have you read anything about Monster? I have not. Is that a thing? Monster is a short which inspired this movie. Really? Yes, it is. Hmm. A mother battles with her son's fear of a monster lurking in the closet, but soon discovers a sinister presence all around her that sounds familiar. Just a bit. It does indeed. How long is it? Have you seen it? No. It was only 10 minutes long. Yeah, but I was, you know, trivia said, uh, she made this and then she like uh, she couldn't stop thinking about it so she decided to make it into a full-length movie well there you go um very nice so we're gonna get straight into the discussion on this one because i think that we have a lot to talk about oh yeah. yeah i think that um there's obviously a lot of things to talk about as far as theme and allegory and other i guess big liberal arts words go but I also noticed a lot of things in this uh, this time around seeing it. This was my third time seeing it. Um, I noticed a lot of a lot of things this time around as far as uh, the actual making of the movie goes that allows those themes to come across that I'm very excited to talk about for all the I guess craft nerds out there like myself. So, and then Becca has told us that she has a big new conclusion that she's never reached before in regards to the Babadook. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, everybody else has probably already realized this, but... So she's going to be laying down some knowledge for us. Yes. In the podcast, in just a little bit. But we cannot start without some... Hot takes. <laughs> Am I right? You are right. Let's go, Becca. Hot take. All right. This was my second time seeing it. And I loved it so much better the second time than I did the first time. And she quite liked it the first time. I did. I really, really loved it. And it really is so much more than just a scary movie. Like, it's not scary. Um, But I guess my... Oh, I don't even know what to choose as my hot take. Just that I loved it. I love the, like, color palette of the movie. I love the message of the movie. And a lot of the major themes throughout that I'm sure we're going to get into. And I think the biggest plus for me was the acting. And that's something I obviously noticed the first time, but like really paid attention to this time is that the acting of both Essie Davis and the boy, especially the boy, was amazing. Like I just, we can get into this in a minute, but I just don't know how kids can act like that. So acting would be one of my biggest hot takes from this movie very good a very hot hot take i almost burnt myself on that one did you 
Sizzling. <laughs> Sid, what's up? Hot takes. Um, so yeah, this is my second time seeing it too. First time I saw it, uh, I was sitting next to my crush, so I w- honestly wasn't really paying attention to the movie because I was so focused on him. Uh, Becca's married, so. Well, I'm saying that I, what? Oh, you were sitting next to her this time, right? So. Yeah. It was a joke. Okay. Didn't <laughs> land, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was awkward. Um, anyway. Yeah, I loved it the second time around. I honestly didn't really remember too much from the first time. I was really scared through most of it. Um, I love the metaphor of this movie that I'm sure we're going to get into later. I love, love, love it so much. And I usually don't like metaphors in scary movies. But in this one, it just works so well. And yeah, I got to agree with Becca. The acting is great. I love the little kid. Like at first, he's really annoying. But by the end, I just want to adopt him and care for him. So yeah, that's my hot take. Very well. Um, mine is probably the chilliest of the hot takes then because you guys are both uh, pretty excited about this. I do love this movie. I think it's great. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of things that I noticed this time around that I hadn't in the past as far as what makes the film so effective. So some of the things that I want to get into is, um, basically, like I said, some of the craft things, some of the camera angles and the sound mixing and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I also want to, at some point today, uh, get into a little bit of a side discussion with you guys about what makes horror effective for you guys, right? Like what, what makes a good horror movie? Because this podcast is a large part of kicking off 31 days of October, where we watch a scary movie every day for the entire month of October. It's Becca's favorite time of year. Then I just make him watch Jane Austen and Disney for the rest of the year. That's correct. It's the price I pay. Um... (laughs) But so I want to I want to get into that a little bit. We will be doing uh, some, I guess, side episodes talking just about the movies that we're doing for 31 days of October. As always, if you would like to join us on our quest for 31 days of October, find us at uh, we watch or facebook.com slash we watch movies and then talk about them or just search for we watch movies and then talk about them on Facebook. We will have the calendar there uploaded so you can watch along with us, and we'll have little bonus episodes every week to talk about the movies that we have watched during that week. So, but this episode, I kind of want to talk about a little bit, a little bit about, I guess, what makes horror effective for you guys, what gets you scared in a movie, and uh, what makes a good horror movie for you guys. So, we'll talk about that towards the end, but I want to prep you guys so you have it in your heads. I'm not dropping a bombshell on you later on in the episode. Deal. But, um... So let's start with the exciting stuff first, because again, a lot of my stuff is boring craft stuff. <laughs> the Oscars that they're going to give out during the commercials kind of stuff. So Becca, why don't you kick us off? Oh, where to start? Um, one thing that I noticed, um, this is probably a craft thing, I guess, actually. <laughs> um I, she stuck her pinky out while saying that. <laughs> Did I? Getting fancy over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am new to film, as I've said before. I mostly got into film because of Andrew and Sid. So I don't know a lot about the craft. And I have told Andrew, like, I don't totally understand how to look at editing or see editing or things like this, that. But I think if I'm right... I like the sound mixing or sound editing of this movie. Yeah. So. (laughs) 
So I guess we're, we're just going to jump right into the boring craft stuff, which I'm fine with because that's what most of my notes are about. Let's do it. I'm sorry. This is just the first thing on my list. So this is the first thing that you're going to get. But I know they do this in a lot of scary, like a lot of scary movies do this. But it was so effective in this movie, the way like everything was really loud. Like when she slid the book across the table. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was fine. That was good. That was 4D sound here. <laughs> like... It was so effective at like bringing me into the movie and making me feel scared and feel like I was there. So I definitely noticed, and I, I think that would be the, the sound editing, or would that be the sound mixing? It'd be the both? mixing. So mixing. The, the mixing is the sound levels, basically. So which sounds are louder than others and that kind of thing. That's mixing. Got it. So the sound mixing, I thought, made this movie super effective. So I'm all about the sound in this movie. Um, towards the beginning of it, I was struggling, I guess, volume up, volume down, volume up, volume down. And I was finally like, screw it. We're just going to put subtitles on because the dialogue is so quiet in this movie. But I think one of the, uh, I guess, overarching, maybe not themes, but um, ideas throughout the film is that her life, uh, what's her name? Amelia? Mm-hmm. Amelia's life is incredibly grating to her um obviously her husband died the day that her son was born and since then her life has just been kind of a slog right in every way and so what the sound mixing does that to me makes everything so effective because amelia is our narrator in this we see everything through her eyes um those really mundane day-to-day sounds that our brains really filter out because if they didn't we would just be driven crazy are super highlighted in this right so a few specific things that i wrote down i stopped about halfway through writing down examples but in any case at the beginning when her son is sleeping he's grinding his teeth and you can hear that yeah when she is at work and playing bingo with the old people the bingo machine is super loud um when the light is flickering in the kitchen during different scenes it's incredibly loud and then the last one I wrote down is when they take uh, Samuel to the doctor and you can hear all the medical instruments like making their noises, but they're super loud. So it's all these things that annoy her are just incredibly loud and they serve. I think that serves to annoy us. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was super effective. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of that. Um. Sid. Yes. What do you think? Just on the sound mixing? On whatever. Um I mean I I don't know a whole lot about sound mixing. It's kind of like you know, you recognize it when it's bad, but I I don't I've Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that if if they've done it right you don't really notice yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So like I've when I first started getting into movies, you know, I kinda like youtube like what's good editing what's bad editing i still haven't quite figured out sound editing but i do feel like it's very good in this movie and one thing that i really like is um in a lot of horror movies when there's a jump scare you know there's like the big music and it just like jumps out at you and um and i I feel like they don't really do that too much in this movie Mm -mm. which is super effective because it's still so scary and it feels more realistic when they don't jump or don't add in the huge jump scares. Um, and I really love that. And also some of the trivia, um, they use a lot of video game noises 
for sound mixing. Did they? Yeah, let me try and find it and I'll... Let's get, we're getting some early trivia here. <laughs> it's some good stuff. Trivia. What? Talk amongst yourselves <laughs> while I look it up. All right. Um, yeah, I thought the, the sound was awesome. One more thing I want to talk about as long as we're talking about boring craft things and then maybe we can get into the meat and potatoes themes of the movie, right? All right. What um. the metaphor is, what the overarching message of the movie is. Um, the craft of the movie, uh, both the sound as well as a lot of the camera angles and the set design. Um, I think the set designers deserve a huge, uh, I guess, vote of gratitude from the rest of the staff because there's so many subtle things that I think that we maybe see but don't process. Like, they, they affect our subconscious, though, right? Like, if you look throughout the movie, who has this many coats hanging up throughout their house? Right. Or, like, who has, like, a like a mannequin? Like a mannequin, yeah. right? There's so many scenes where, like, just in the background, you'll see a coat or something hanging on the wall or like uh shadows the, the lighting in this is fantastic the use of shadow is really effective especially when uh i guess the babadook is inside of her question mark i don't know but yeah. the, the shadows really i guess convey that idea as well so i thought that the set design and the lighting uh both really served i guess the atmosphere of the movie really well and a movie like this where um, there aren't too many jump scares and like it shows the monster fairly early on. It's probably about halfway through when you first see the monster, but atmosphere is what this movie lives and dies on, right? It's like whether or not you're scared of the environment and what's going on and the sound design and set design. And then, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, the cinematography as well and how that, I guess, serves to enhance the atmosphere and to ratchet up that tension as the movie goes on trivia all right so in a few scenes where the babadook is present the sound effect from warcraft 2 uh tides of darkness and beyond the dark portal oh my favorite one um can be heard i don't really know what that sound is apparently it's calling response of dragons in the game i don't know what it sounds like which scene is that says the effect was a calling response of dragons in the point and click strategy game no but what scene oh were the just whenever there? like baba duke is there there were is some that the, like i think it's the, like yeah oh, i think that's okay. what it is because i didn't know what the sound was but those sound effects were sticking out to me in the movie and can we talk about that one um i forget it's probably almost halfway through when she wakes up and just hears all the voices and we've never watched anytime i've ever watched this i've never watched it with subtitles but somebody actually says there's someone in the house but you know what that is what that's the little boy talking on the phone oh because she goes downstairs and he says like can we come over can we spend the night that's him talking How did on she the phone hear him, though freaking batman ears like what's going on here the babadook the babadook heard heavens <laughs> Yeah, I didn't notice. I, I always thought it was just kind of ambient noise, but it's actually somebody says, or I guess it's the kid says, there's someone in the house. So sometimes it's beneficial to watch movies with subtitles. Rarely is it beneficial, but I think in this case it is. Yeah. Although I do usually watch stuff with subtitles. Mm -hmm. Same. Bye. 
Um, as long as we're on here, I do want to talk a little bit about the cinematography as well. And then we'll get on to the good stuff. Um, there are a lot of, I guess, like I said, the movie, what it does really well, I think, and one of my, I guess, tenets of effective horror is that it really slowly ratchets up the tension as the movie goes on. But everything as far as the craft in this movie goes, whether it's cinematography or sound or whatever, serves to make you uncomfortable and uneasy, right? Like it's it's nothing in this film is supposed to feel comfortable. Um, and they do some really cool things. Um, there are a lot of camera angles, especially early on, that really limit uh, what is in your line of sight, right? And like Sid said, this movie doesn't really live on jump scares, but it teases you as if there will be jump scares, which is really cool. Specifically at the beginning, we see a camera angle looking down at Amelia while she's in bed. And we see that a few times. And literally all we can see is just like her head and the pillow. And it's super claustrophobic. And you just assume that the camera is going to cut back and she's going to be looking up and there's going to be something on the ceiling, but it never happens. So you get on edge and then it doesn't give you that release of the jump scare. So you just stay on edge. And it does that a few times. Um, another one, uh, again, claustrophobic camera angles. They do a lot of stuff between the family room and the kitchen where they'll put the camera in the room that they are not in. So you are looking at the scene through the doorway. Um, which again, just limits your field of view and makes you feel claustrophobic and uneasy. Uh, the day and the transitions from day to night, the few of them that they do where like she's sleeping and the camera will like, and all of a sudden it's day. Oh, those you know are, I mean? yeah, those yeah, are those really are cool awesome. scenes. They're really cool, but they're weird. Oh, yeah. They, they're unnatural. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but also like capture, I guess what it feels like to like fall asleep and then wake up, you know? Well, especially, um, as far as her character goes, I think specifically, to fall asleep and wake up unrested. Yeah. It captures, right? Yeah. You know, those. everybody's had those nights where, like, you have a hard time falling asleep, and then all of a sudden it's just morning, and you don't remember falling asleep, and you don't feel satisfied with your sleep, but it's just, like, all of a sudden it's morning, and I think it captures that well. Yeah, I agree. Um, And then a couple of, a couple of specific scenes, her, uh, I guess, quasi-dream sequence when she's watching TV... And it's like those movies from the 20s and the Babadook just keeps popping up in them. Oh, my gosh. That scene is so unsettling. so creepy. Um, And then finally, the scene with the news. It's like, she stabbed her son. He just turned seven. And then it like zooms in on the window and she's just like smiling at herself out of the window. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) that's the the noise that I make because it's just so icky. (laughs) So, again, the uh, it's very impressive. Um, again, and it's those things that you, they're all in the category of if they're doing it well, you don't notice it. But for some reason I did notice it this time. And it's just, it's, it's impressive how much the, I guess, compositional elements of this film serve the, the story and the themes and that idea of slowly ratcheting up the tension so that the climax is so effective and you don't get like any respite it's just like every scene is uncomfortable yeah um 
one thing along with that, this might be going in a little bit of a different direction, but uh, one of the first things I noticed when watching the movie was the first scene because that's the first thing we watched. That was <laughs> but the opening scene was the first thing we noticed. <laughs> Shut up. Novel, novel Shut up. movie analysis <laughs> brought to you this was by my realization. the We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them crew. Wait, is this your Just, big announcement? No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> I was joking. Anyway, but this was something that I realized after the first scene ended, and I think this has to do with the writing, is that pretty much every element of the movie is in the first scene. Like We learn every single thing that we need to know about the whole movie pretty much in the first scene and what i mean by that is we for those learn... who forgot what is the first scene oh it's just gonna go through that oh, okay cool so i don't know exactly the sequence it goes in but we learn that she gets in a car accident with her husband and he dies and we learn that her son has nightmares and is afraid of monsters under his bed and has a hard time sleeping and we learn that she has a hard time sleeping because when she sleeps, she dreams about this car accident. Um, hmm. And that she's grieving I don't over know that her I necessarily, husband. I don't know that I necessarily connected that dot that she dreams about that. Because after, but it makes sense. Like after it happens, it shows her kind of like yeah, she floating falls into, into bed. bed yeah. And like that was her dreaming about I, it. Like I said, I didn't know that I necessarily put that together. I think it's good though. And so I think like after watching this a second time, like I realized... Everything that this movie is about is in that first scene. And like, we'll get into all that meat and everything. But, you know, like we see that this is her life. Her life is grieving over her dead husband, trying to help her son get to sleep, not sleeping, dealing with monsters like that is her life. And then the movie starts. And so I just thought that was like such a unique and like interesting way to start the movie by like almost giving us everything and telling us what the movie is and then telling this like scary story. And so I, I don't know. I just thought that was really cool this time around watching it. I think that's a great observation. One thing I really like about this movie and I put it in my notes is I feel like this has a good mix of uh, scary atmosphere and scary visuals. I feel like, um, you know, in kind of like the classic horror movies, it's just visuals and it's it's you know that's mostly what is stressed with the jump scares um and i think this one okay so i love hereditary but i kind of wish it had more scary visuals if i you don't think the uh the mom cutting her head off with a piano okay. is a scary visual <laughs> well yes it's it's more disturbing to you me mean, or do you mean more frequently like throughout yeah, I'd probably say so. I think... Um, like when the daughter gets her head knocked off. Okay, that's just oh gross. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. I know you are. But like the part in the beginning of Hereditary when she turns off the light and her mom is there, I kind of wish it was more stuff like that where you... I don't know, where it's just kind of creepy. I feel like most of Hereditary is kind of disturbing. I feel that. So I feel like this this movie, Babadook, has a really good mix of... It's disturbing and it makes you uncomfortable, but it's also, it gives you kind of those jump scare moments without going over the top and it has the scary visuals that stay with you. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. Um, I think that again, part of what makes it so effective is that, um, it's like, it's like riding a roller coaster, right? You start out and you go 
they've got the chain on there that carries you up, right? And you just kind of until you hit the top. And this movie does such a good job of like not letting you fall back at all. Like it just keeps ratcheting it up until it throws you over that hill mm-hmm. and like things get real wacky. Yeah. I think that's Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that I think that there's a I guess I think there's a place for both types. But I do agree with you as far as like my hereditary is mostly just disturbing. Mm-hmm. And that's not for everybody. This film I'm not I feel saying like it makes a bad movie. Sure. I feel like this might have a wider appeal to the people who maybe don't want to see ants yeah. eating a 15-year-old's head. It's not great. Yes. Yes. So let's get into it then. We've teased this a lot. Um, but let's get into it. Okay. 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 <laughs> um, so guys, I mean, what is the Babadook? I'm wondering if we all have different interpretations. You guys are both just looking at me. You got the bombshell you said here. You have a big announcement. I know, but I feel like it has to wait until after we talk about the meaning, like what the Babadook is. All right. But I can start with that if you Let's want. Let's kick us off. What is the Babadook? Well, I feel like a lot of this comes from Andrew because I first watched this movie with Andrew a couple years ago. And he was the one that, like, talked me through and, like, explained, like, all the deeper meaning and whatever. But I totally agree with it. It makes so much sense that, like, the Babadook is, like, grief and sadness. And... Sid just gave finger guns. So I assume that... Yes. That means she agrees. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, it's her trying to deal with the death of her husband and still take care of her son. Or, obstinately, not trying to deal with the death of her husband yeah exactly like trying to push it off so i don't know if anybody has other thoughts or disagrees or agrees but i think it's pretty safe to say that the babadook represents grief yeah i think that i mean the first time i saw this um i saw it pretty much right when it came out i think um maybe or no it might have been like a year after i think i saw it um, I think in 2015, but in any case, um, the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, that was really good. It was a really good horror movie. And then as soon as I got on Reddit afterwards, which is what I do when I finish watching a movie, I got on Reddit and somebody was like, the Babadook is grief. And it was like a light switch flipped in my head. And it's like, it's one of those things that I feel like maybe doesn't even require that much explanation of the like intricacies of it. Because as soon as somebody says it out loud and you hear it, that like the Babadook represents her grief. It's like everything makes perfect uh-huh. sense. Um, so then that's a question that I, I had, um, is, is the Babadook real? That's kind of what I was thinking halfway through. I would say yes, but it's very, very metaphorical. So here's my thing is one of my favorite things that a horror movie can do and, um, I was putting together today the calendar for 31 days of October. So I was like thinking about different horror movies. And we were talking a little about uh, the movie Oculus. And I actually love that movie. It's not like a 10 out of 10, obviously. But I love it because it very effectively uh, plays with your, I guess, idea of reality. It's incredibly difficult in that movie to tell what's real and what's not. 
because the the mirror in that movie is messing with their perceptions and like giving them hallucinations and all this kind of stuff right so i feel like this movie does a similar thing to that um where it's just super difficult to tell what's real and what's not so i don't know how much if any of this actually happened and how much of it just happened in her mind i think a lot of it happened in her mind um this guys this might lead up to my big realization so if it's super obvious pretend like it's pretty cool <laughs> We're about to okay. drop some shallow bombs on you <laughs> okay so i do think that the babadook is real and in her mind and i think hear me out oh no that wasn't a doubting uh eyebrow squint that was a please explain further okay okay (laughs) so i love that you mentioned already like in the background you see a lot of coats and you see a lot of things hanging up and the babadook in the movie is literally pulled straight from the children's book you know like it's the same thing it even looks like a children's book character so then the book itself is real you think the book is real okay and Dun, dun, dun. She wrote it. <gasps> She's a writer. I just got chills. Oh, like, frick. do you remember? Oh my gosh! I'm so glad you guys didn't realize this, dude. Because she says, "I wrote some articles for the magazines and some, and some kids children's stuff." Books. Heavens. Okay, hear me I'm out. Turning Keep the podcast going. off right now. We're I'm done. Right There's now. more. <laughs> so when she throws the book out and rips it up, and it comes back taped, and there's more. She wrote that. It wasn't the Babadook that wrote that. Like, she wrote the book. And that's why, like, that's her, I don't know when she wrote it, but, like, that was her trying to express herself and her grief over, like, losing her husband. And it just, like, keeps coming back to haunt her every year. She sees the Babadook because that's how she, like, expresses this grief. So you think that's why her son has such an obsession with monsters? Like every, um, you think you think that it's like a a yearly cycle thing. Like this time of year comes up, and so she starts. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Like that was like the main realization, and it wasn't even until the movie ended, and like I got chills, and I just wanted to like tell Dude, everybody. I'm so into that. That's ridiculous. Like she wrote, she created and wrote this book, and created the Babadook, and so that's why it is in her mind. But like you see these shadows and. And these coats, and those are all real. But like in her mind and in these shadows, she actually sees the Babadook. So then her quote unquote husband in the basement with the hat and the coat taped up to the wall with the violin next to it. Did she make that or did the kid make that? Because I think in that scene, we're led to believe that the kid made it. Mm -hmm. But Hmm. I guess knowing that, what do you think? I'm I'm leaning now more towards that maybe she and her weird grief mind... Maybe. pinned his clothes up to the wall i think it's possible and that maybe she did a lot of the weird things that are down there and that's why he's not allowed down there i mean even because even at the end of the movie he's not allowed down there yeah so dude i think that's actually an interesting theory that she she wrote the book and then a lot of the physical stuff happens so like I, one thing that i kept thinking throughout this movie and i still i would love to see this movie remade from samuel's point of view oh yeah yeah because you're not entirely sure if he sees it or not right yeah 
I mean, like, we we never see a scene where he looks at it, but, like, at the end when yeah, well, it Well, I mean, grabs in the him, car. Oh, yeah. That's true. He's shouting at it, too. But, like, you never, like, see them in, like, the same frame together, and he is obviously looking at the Babadook. Yeah. I mean, it alludes to it, obviously. Sure. But, but yeah. So then I wonder, Sims, again, like, I wonder if she just, like, hallucinated stuff and, like... Because even... There's a tip-off in the scene with the cockroaches, right? Where she's freaking out and cleaning the kitchen and the sh- the social workers show up. And she's like, yeah, there was a hole behind the behind the refrigerator and there's no hole. Mm-hmm. So, like, we know that she's seeing things that aren't real. Yeah. And nothing really, I guess, like, intensely physical happens until Samuel gets thrown around, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like, yeah. it's not like the Babadook is interacting with the physical world. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that makes me think maybe it's like a yearly thing is kind of the way Samuel knows how to handle everything. And he even says to her, like, I'll protect you if you protect me. And he's like, kind of like wise, like he like hides all of these things in different rooms and like he he knows what to do. That's what I'm saying. This is like home alone from the perspective of the sticky finger bandits you know what i mean like (laughs) so i want to see it from samuel's perspective because i want to see what's real and what's not totally because i still don't know even at the end of the day yeah does the book come back after she burns it no i don't think so right no it doesn't show it she totally wrote the book yeah oh my gosh i'm so into that that's a ridiculous theory, but I love it. Isn't it amazing? I love that so much. Yes. Quit bragging, Becca. I'm sorry. No, I was just so excited bad. about it. But I do think that they, I don't know. Um, I'm going to talk about Reddit a lot on this podcast. <laughs> Go for it. For some reason. But um, like there was this Reddit thread that was like talking about like, I guess the idea that like unless you've lost somebody close to you like you I guess don't have the capability to understand what it's like right and I do believe that yeah yeah um I think that it's something that you can't know what it's like until you actually experience it but I think that this movie does a, a decent job at like trying to explain it yeah and like that idea that like if it's in a word or it's in a look you can't get rid of the Babadook you know what I mean like if it's it's one of those things there's a word for it and I'm blanking on it right now, but there's uh like a supernatural creature that basically is just like willed into existence, right? Like people believe in it enough. It's like Slender Man, right? Mm-hmm. Like at what point does Slender Man become real? Kind of a thing. Like it was just made up on the internet and then people started believing in it and like is Slender Man real now? Who knows? Kind of a thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like the idea that like if you like if it's in your mind at all it consumes you right that grief and um even like her understanding of what it means to grieve and to get past it she doesn't know how to deal with it and the people around her don't know how to help her yeah because except for maybe mrs roach she was a good one she was a good one um because in the one time that she really addresses it she's like i have moved past it i don't talk about him anymore that's not moving past it exactly like he still is 100 percent consuming her life mm-hmm. so she hasn't moved past him yeah it's like but that idea of like you know if it's in a word or it's in a look or like um what 
comes after that. We gonna read the book? Just read the whole thing? I'm looking for a specific thing. Um, Doesn't it just say if it's in a word or if it's in a look, you can't get rid of a Babadook? Um, what does it say? Um, see him in your room at night and you won't sleep a, a wink. Like That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, what does he say here? I can't read this one. I'll soon take off my funny disguise. Take heed of what you've read. Um, and once you see what's underneath, you're going to wish that you were dead. Yeah. Like, again, just that idea of like the grief just consuming her life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That like once you get down to it, like even even I guess even if the if the friendly disguise, quote unquote, is like this apparition of her husband that she keeps seeing. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we're talking about like what the Babadook is and if it's if it's, you know, her grief and everything Then I think that this um, the funny disguise is the word that it uses. Like the funny disguise that her grief puts on is this idea that her husband could come back because there's even the scene where she goes down to the basement. She's like, I thought you were dead. It's like, it's been seven years, lady. Like, of course he's dead. He's gone. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But then, like, as soon as he takes off his funny disguise and, like, becomes this all-consuming, uh, I guess, force in her life, then she wishes she was dead and she can't sleep a wink. Which is, like, absolutely what grief is. Like, if you, like, peel back the layers or whatever and, like, actually let it out, then mm-hmm. those same things happen. Like, yeah. Gosh. How do you come up with this stuff? I don't know. Because this is a this is an original idea, right? I'm pretty sure. She came up with it. Yeah. It's not adapted from anything. Good I wish job. I was a smart. Jennifer Kent, go make more movies. You know what I mean? Just just go make more movies. Ooh. Huh. Mm. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it was made for two million dollars, and it made nine hundred and twenty-four thousand dollars. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, shame on everybody for not making this movie more money yeah i don't know not a whole lot of australian cinema out there Mm-mm. at least not in america i don't know any australians out there that are listening let us know some good australian movies yeah, and i don't mean anything like this i then. don't mean australia starring hugh jackman and nicole kidman no but that is a good movie that's an okay movie we don't want it's a it. good movie the second half is much better than the first that's true it should have been made in two parts you're right. Isn't it like 18 hours long? It's like three. I think it's just over three. Same thing. <laughs> because here's the thing. Baz Luhrmann is great. Three hours of Baz Luhrmann is a lot to take in. <laughs> His style is very intense. Um, I'm seriously so into that. I love it. Me too. So the Babadook is her grief and she wrote the book in a misguided attempt to express herself, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, so she's a writer, like, it makes sense that she'd write a book. And maybe even as she was writing it, she wasn't necessarily thinking, this is my grief that I'm writing, Mm -hmm. but it's just like a haunting book that haunts her. Yeah. Man, that's good. Yeah. 
Um, anything else on the overarching theme of the movie? I feel like that's, again, it's one of those things that I feel like as soon as somebody says it, it's like, oh, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like we don't need to like go into it and explain. But again, I think this movie's kind of special because on a similar level to like, oh brother, where art thou? Like we talked about that one that like you can just enjoy that movie and it's just funny and clever. But mm-hmm. if you look into it a little bit as well, there's a lot that it has to say. And it's the same thing with this movie. If you just go in looking for a good horror movie, you'd be scared out of your mind. Yeah. It's a good one. But like, again, it's got a lot to say. And I love movies like that that operate on, I guess, multiple levels at once. Me too. Especially because I don't love horror. So if a horror movie can also be a good movie, then I like it. There you go. <laughs> so Rebecca really liked The Shining. I did really like The Shining. Which is a little bit more impenetrable, I would say. Yeah. But The Shining's also not that scary, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Um, all right. So let's... Uh, so did you have anything else you wanted to say on that specific topic? Um, I don't know. I just... I loved that whole part of the movie. Like, most of my notes is just me kind of comparing parts in the movie and uh, things that people with depression experience a lot because i don't know mental health is really important to me and i i want to be a therapist someday so this was all this is kind of exciting for me to watch um and i think it's just <laughs> sorry i don't know what was so funny the coaster stuck to my uh <laughs> cup of coke apparently it was hilarious <laughs> I don't know. I just think this movie is very good with its. I don't know. Just the, it portrays when you break it down, it portrays depression in a very realistic way, and there are just small things that are things that people actually experience. So I think it's. I don't know. Kind of on a soapbox. I just think it's a very important movie in that sense, and uh, kind of helping people recognize those problems. Along with that. Um, and also kind of leading into just the amazing acting. Um, I feel like the behaviors that the boy showed were also incredibly realistic. And I don't know how they got a boy to act like that. So again, back to uh, Reddit psychology. That's a great segue into this. There was another uh, Reddit thread that um, somebody was talking about. They had... Uh, lost somebody in an accident i think it was i think this specific thread was talking it was a kid who had like lost his parents in a car accident Mm -hmm. and when he was young and he was talking about how um like it's one thing to lose somebody uh that's close to you and it's another thing entirely to lose somebody that's close to you in a sudden and unexpected way Mm -hmm. and one thing that i didn't think about that they pointed out in that thread is that when that happens, you stop trusting the world, right? Like there are so many things that we do every day that are incredibly dangerous. Like just getting in a car, you know what I mean? It's one of the most dangerous things you do every single day. Mm -hmm. And so things that are so average, um, you know, you could slip in the shower, you could um, trip over something and break your neck, you could get in a car accident. Like things that we don't think about, like these uh, people who have, I guess, experienced sudden and unexpected loss in their lives. Think about these kind of things. They stop trusting the world. And I feel like that's something that both the kid and the mom exhibit in their behaviors. Um, There's that one line specifically where 
Samuel's like, I don't want you to die. And she's like, I'm not going to die for a long time yet. And he says, did you say that about my dad before he died? So like, he just doesn't trust anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's part of why he is so, um, maybe violent isn't the right word, but so, uh, I guess his instinct is to protect. So you know what I mean? You say that uh, maybe it's because this is a yearly thing. So he says, I'll protect you if you protect me. But I think it, I think it uh, holds more water to think that he's like that because he just straight up doesn't trust the world. He thinks yeah. that he has to protect his mom and she has to protect him because, you know, the world is untrustworthy and can just take you at any time. And I think that's interesting because like that definitely transferred to Samuel from his mom because like he wasn't born like he didn't never knew his dad he wasn't yeah that's what i'm saying so he was he was raised with this distrust it was a value that she taught him essentially yeah and so like he always always lived like that and that's why he has those behaviors and like that's so like common and so i think it's just amazing that he could act like that and just show both like what sid was saying just like real life with grief and depression and behaviors and how it affects everybody around them like that that's real life like that's how it actually happens yeah so i just loved that this movie was able to portray that yeah and i think the scene that i guess embodies that for me the most uh with um amelia that's her name right Mm -hmm. is when she goes to the police station because they're acting totally reasonably you know what i mean yeah she walks in and she's like somebody's stalking us there's a book well, I burnt it. He's like, well, you burnt it. We can't do anything about that. And the guys at the back are just overhearing this wacky conversation. Like, they're acting normally. Yeah. yeah. And she's so distrustful of them. Mm-hmm. Because that's just how she is. She just doesn't trust anything. Yeah. But then I also feel there are points where uh, her mistrust is supported. And in one of the scenes, when she's talking, she's talking to her sister. And she says something about, we're being stalked. And her sister is just like, I don't have time for this. So I feel like that's... Well, at that point, she had kind of pushed her sister away. <laughs> yeah, but her sister was also... Her sister was also yeah, a butthole. She, like, yeah. she was never there for her, yeah. So. yeah. So I feel like, yeah, there is that innate just mistrust of the world, but then they... Yeah. They experience things that reinforce that for them. But it's also... There's also people who, I guess, are trying to break through that. You think of Mrs. Roach. You think of the guy from her work. Like, yeah. I don't know. She's a but very like interesting character. When you're in a state like that, like when you compare it to like depression or something like that, like it's not something you just like get out of. Yeah, know? sure. And it's 100%. hard. It's hard to accept help. Mm-hmm. And your actions aren't always logical, right? Yeah. yeah. So actually, as we were watching this, I think that there's a lot of similarities between this and Hereditary. Yeah. In that, in they're, that they're both really good movies. Hmm staring at becca no comment (laughs) (laughs) whatever no in that it's it's two moms dealing with loss right because essentially those are uh, i guess some of the biggest themes in both movies right it's it's these mothers dealing with the loss of somebody who was important to them in very different ways obviously you know uh annie in uh, hereditary not close to her mom, but her mom, an incredibly important figure that lorded over her life. 
she's trying to deal with that loss. And then Amelia here trying to deal with the loss of her husband. So I think there's a, there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, so yeah, but I agree with you. I think that, I mean, her performance is just, it's one of those, again, I, I feel like it lands in the camp of, it's one of those things that if, if they're doing it well, you won't notice it. But the just the range that she pulls out between being, you know, just sobbing or, you know, fatigued to being pissed to being the Babadook when she's grabbing onto the door frame and kicking through her son's door. Oh, and, my gosh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's just so much range in her performance. And on, on you know, on a dime, she just switches. You know, you get that scene where he's, like, the kid's just hungry. And she snaps at him and she's furious. And then two seconds later, she's, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I said that. Like, that was so horrible. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much range in her performance. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And, of course, the Oscars didn't even take notice. Those idiots. This is the same year that Birdman won, though. So, mm-hmm. if you want to know our thoughts on Birdman. Go listen to our episode on it. Yes, do. Um, a couple of other things that I uh, noticed, just little details that I thought were, uh, I guess, cool. Breadcrumbs, we'll call them. Okay. I think that's a, a good thing to call them. Um, her husband is very clearly much younger than her. I thought that was a cool Seven detail. Seven years younger. <laughs> sure, but like, I mean, clearly the grief has aged her, but also like it's just been seven years. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if she was 25, call it like 25 to 32, you're going to look different. Yeah. Or 28 to 35. You know what I mean? Like however old she was when that happened. He looks to be late 20s, maybe 30. Yeah. But he looks significantly younger than her. And I think that's a, a cool detail that he is stuck in this state in which she remembers him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool detail. Um, also, uh, when, after she rips up the book, um, and it comes back, there's like, and they're pretty subtle knocks, but there's three of them. Uh-huh. She goes out and looks, comes back and then it three pounding on the door. And in the book, it says that three knocks will precede the Babadook. So I thought that was a cool Ooh, detail. That is cool. That both times it knocks on the door, whether it's light or heavy, it's three knocks. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, finally, her tooth throughout the movie. Um, yeah, I had something on that, too. Oh, what did you have? I just don't know. I don't understand what... Are you ready for means. this? I get it. Uh, so, um, in dream theory or dream interpretation or whatever you will, um, if you have dreams about your teeth falling out, it's a sign of sexual frustration. Uh. Like you're not getting your rocks off enough. <laughs> so, basically, the idea that this the tooth is annoying her and then finally she pops it out is this underlying that underneath all of this and there's a scene where she attempts to masturbate as well and is nearly successful but the kid messes it up um but there's this undertone as well under all of it that like she's grieving and she's miserable and everything but she's also just like not getting laid (laughs) and it's just it's just a cool detail i think yeah and there's a lot of scenes that point to that because there's a lot of scenes where she's like the one where she's watching TV and there's like, the one nine hundred number. Oh, there's the phone sex line that comes up 
at the beginning. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. I totally didn't. Or when she's that. in the parking garage at the mall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's like a lot of moments like that. Yeah. So that's. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, dream theory is kind of kooky in the first place. Like dreams are pretty impossible to, I guess, interpret, I think, on a uh, any sort of. I guess a consistent basis, but that is one thing that um, is like a, a prevalent theory is that if you dream about your teeth falling out, it means that you're sexually frustrated. But I, I think it's a cool detail to add into the movie oh, because like the whole movie feels kind of dreamlike because like nightmare, yep. like because it, it is. Yeah. Again, I think the vibe of this movie is similar to Oculus, which is a good thing. Yeah. Cause that was one of the strongest parts of that movie. Yeah. Was the vibe. Uh, those are my breadcrumbs for today. All right. Let's see. I had a few scenes that I want to talk about specifically, but uh, before we get into that, anything else that you guys want to bring up on anything that we've talked about or anything else before we get into our favorite scenes? I have covered all of my notes, and I feel good because I gave a pretty good detail. Your so. 100%. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Um. One thing that I wrote down here, and I want to get you guys' thoughts on it, the scene in the bath where you walk in and she's fully dressed sitting in the bathtub and just like picks him up and puts him in the bathtub with her. For some reason, that scene just gave me the willies. That scene weirded me out, and I don't really know why. Yeah, I thought it was like so captivating to watch. Yeah. And... I think a lot of it goes back to like the idea of depression and grief as well. When you're like to a point where you're like, I don't even have the energy to take my clothes off to get into this tub. Yeah. And I think you get to a point where you don't even recognize it. I remember watching a movie a few years ago and there's one scene where um, the character, his wife dies and he just like falls asleep like on the hard hard ground and someone's like oh that must be so uncomfortable and then someone else made a point where he doesn't even notice how uncomfortable that floor is so i think that may be what is happening in that scene where she's all this grief is catching up with her that she doesn't even recognize that she still has her clothes on yeah but it's still a really creepy scene i agree maybe that's it maybe it's just this like semi-normal thing that they just took this one tick of them having their clothes on that makes it weird yeah i think so and and i think again like it's kind of realistic you know like yeah i think that someone would do that like a mother and even like bring her son in because she's trying to be a loving mother and take care of him but she's so stuck in her mind and yeah the things that, 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 she's dealing at that with. moment it seems like the thing to do yeah and maybe what it is, even now that I'm thinking about it, like you, you mentioned this before, but a lot of the movie is super dreamlike and surreal. Yeah. And that scene, for some reason, feels really grounded. Yeah. Like maybe that that's definitely happened. That scene was yeah. 100% real. I don't know. One thing that kind of freaked me out about that scene is we obviously see that she is kind of losing her mind. And I don't know what. What kind of freaked me out is when she, like, pulls him into the bathtub. You know, you're kind of, it's like, is she going to, like, try and drown him? Or is she, she going to try and, like, kill him, commit yeah. suicide to be with her husband? So I think that was kind of what put me on edge in that scene. Oh, my gosh. That also, line where she's like, I want you to meet your dad. It's so beautiful there. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. 
um i was also just gonna say with the tub like good choice of um like what she wore i guess because it was red and then she like sat him in and it made the water look kind of red like at first i was like is that blood i didn't even notice that i didn't notice it looked like blood to me at first because she was wearing red and it like reflected in the water that's awesome i love that yeah um, so that was one of my favorite scenes just because again, if the, if the point of this movie is to make you uncomfortable and I think that it partially is, that was one of the scenes that made me most uncomfortable. Um, what were some of your guys' favorite scenes? I think one of mine and I don't know, it's just the first one that comes to mind. I think, um, is the scene in the car when Samuel sees the Babadook and has oh. his like episode. Like, I don't know, that seems so powerful because I think that's the first time that we or she realizes how much this monster thing is affecting him, mm-hmm. that it's like physically and emotionally affecting him and draining him. And it's not just that he's scared of monsters like a normal kid, but it's like so much more than that. And so I think like that whole sequence is like so terrifying and just so good. So that would be one of my favorites. I do love that scene. I think one of my favorite scenes is when they're first reading the book. Because at first, you know, you're just reading through and it's kind of like a weird kid story. But then as it keeps going, you know, she stops reading it out loud and, and he's freaking out and he's screaming. And then, you know, it cuts and immediately he's just crying in her lap and she's trying to calm him down with a, reg- with a f- freaking normal kid's book. Um, and then another scene that I really liked is the last kind of confrontation with the Babadook in her bedroom, like before he goes into the basement and she's just like holding on to Samuel and just screaming at it. I like got chills that during that part. I don't know. It was just so good. I love that part. It's like a mama bear. Yeah. I liked Stay any scene. I liked baby. any scene where they took the the bedroom and made it stretch out to infinity where they put the, oh, the yeah. shadow. They did that a few times. And I think it's super effective as far as I guess the dreamlike atmosphere of things. Mm-hmm. Um, just running through. I love, I think my favorite sequence is probably her TV dream sequence. Oh yeah. It's just so uh, wacky. It's so scary. So, uh, and just like, I mean, I know I keep saying this, but like also real, like if you've ever, just been watching tv at night and like been really tired the lines blur yeah and like or if you're like alone at night like andrew's left me plenty of times and (laughs) you know like your mind wanders Mm -hmm. and thinks of like the worst possible things and so i think that's super effective and also with that i think with the camera work the filming editing whatever like the camera goes fuzzy a lot like sometimes like when she's waking up it goes in and out of focus yeah yeah and i think that's super effective and and shows like that same thing it just i also and it's it's funny because when it comes to monster movies i'm usually a big fan of waiting as long as possible to show the monster i think that what you don't see is usually scarier than what you do see right yeah with that said i love every scene with the Babadook in this movie. Yeah. And I love the different kind of forms that it takes on. When it's first crawling on the ceiling, it's just kind of like this amorphous mass. You know what I mean? And it like jitters around and all that stuff. But then all the other scenes, it's him kind of floating 
towards her and then the like when his fingers come oh out. Oh my gosh. I love every time that it's on screen. I think it's just or like when the hat drops in the fireplace. Yeah. Oh. That's great. Oh my gosh. That's great. Specifically when it comes out of the kitchen. I think that's incredible. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like I said, I, I usually don't like to I like I, I feel like movies are better when they show the monster as little as possible. But I think it's just the design on this one. Mm-hmm. Again, it looks like it, it just looks like it's straight out of a child's drawing. I think that um, because it is such a dark creature, even if you're getting a full look at it, you're still not seeing much. Yeah. Like you see the outline of its body and its face and that's it. So I don't think you really get a good enough look to diminish how scary it is. It's kind of like the opposite of Insidious, which is absolutely ruined as soon as you see the monster. I feel like most movies are so much less scary as soon as you see the monster. Yeah. yeah. But I also love how at the end of the movie, like kind of after it's all resolved, you don't see it anymore. Like when she goes down to feed it. I was going to say that. I freaking it's love that. not there. Like it's invisible. What does it look like? Is, is it real? I feel like it like gets smaller too. Like when she first, go, first mm-hmm. goes in the basement, it's like towering over her. And then as soon as she like calms it down, it just like shrinks down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if it's real. Yeah. Like what she feeds it worms. How does that make any sense? Well, and just to go back to the metaphor, I know this is something that Andrew brought up the first time we saw it. We were talking about grief and like how she dealt with it and like putting it in the basement and like what that means. And I don't know if we ever came to a conclusion, but like, I guess just that question, like, is it okay to feed your grief? You know, like, should you lock your grief in the See, basement that's why and feed I, it? I wanted to ask you about that specifically because one of your biggest beefs with Hereditary is that it has no meaning because the characters don't learn the lesson, right? And that's how I feel it is with this movie. I don't think she learned anything. I think she learned how to, I guess, better contain it, but it's still this constant. And maybe that's just what it is with grief. I don't really know. Maybe that's the message is that like it will never go away, mm-hmm. but you got to learn how to coexist with it and control it rather than letting it control you maybe that's the message so i don't know like it always seemed to me that like she didn't get rid of the babadook you know what i mean well because you can't get rid of the babadook i guess that is and and you can't get rid of grief like you you will always feel that loss and so i think that's okay it's a fair point like it will always be there and yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's even the right question to ask. That's just something that we talked about the first time we saw it, and, or the first time I saw it, and I thought about it this time around. And I'm not sure if there really is an answer. Like, is it okay to keep grief in your back pocket? You know, and is it okay to feed it? And I don't know the answers to that. Folks, let us know in the comments below. Is it okay to keep your grief <laughs> around and feed it? Well, I don't. I mean, <laughs> kind of more along with Becca. I don't really view it as, um, (laughs) I held the coaster down this time and she still (laughs) thought it was funny. (laughs) I don't know why it's so funny. Anyway, I view it more as not feeding it, but just kind of taking care of it and giving it attention every once in a while, because yeah, would you experience grief? You're never going to not experience that after. So, I mean, maybe... Maybe it could be seen as she's feeding the grief to 
keep it happy, keep it there, or if she's kind of using it to keep it at bay. So, I don't know. Up for interpretation. I do like what you said, though, that, like, like grief does have to be revisited, I think. Like, yeah. Because it will always be there. And so you do have to come back to it and, like, decide again, like, I'm okay. I can keep going. So, I, I do agree with that. I think that maybe she's not necessarily feeding it, but just, like, revisiting that and saying, like, I know that this is here, but I'm going to go upstairs and keep living my life. Yeah. Well, like, she feeds it on Samuel's birthday. And, you know, when it comes to grief, you're going to remember whoever it was mm-hmm. on their birthday, on holidays. So maybe that's just her revisiting it and not letting it change her, but, you know, accepting that this is part of her life now. That's interesting. I didn't think about her feeding it specifically on his birthday. That's an interesting perspective. And I love in that context too, like the conversation that she has afterwards with Samuel and he says, how was it today? And she said, it was pretty quiet today. Mm -hmm. And like, I like that idea of like, the grief is pretty quiet. Like I'm, I'm okay today, you know? So, so she's doing all right. All right. I can get behind that. Yeah. So overall, we like the Babadook. Absolutely. Yes. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about or can we give it uh, some final ratings and move on to other topics? I'm good for final ratings. All right. You said you're good. Well, so final thoughts (laughs) and score out of 10, Becca. Let's have it. Man, this is a lot of pressure for me to always go first in rating. That's what you get for sitting at my right hand. (laughs) Because I haven't actually thought what I would rate this and I I, I don't know. So go through your final thoughts and hopefully at the end of that sentence, you'll have a rating. All right. Sounds good. I do think that this movie is incredible and I would have to say I think it is my favorite horror film that I've ever seen. And it's an acceptable choice. I think it's because there's so much more of a message and I appreciate horror that actually has a message because then I can sit through it better. I don't like to be scared just to be scared. But like grief yeah, is actually likes scary. to go to haunted houses. Ugh. Well, not anymore because you won't go. <laughs> That's correct. Um anyway, so I think this is a very impressive movie. I think it does a fantastic job of doing exactly what it's trying to do of like talking about grief and getting that point across. And, and there's just so much in it from like the story to the characters, to the acting, to the sound mixing and camera work. Like it really is just an incredible movie. So I think that I would give it a 9.5 pretty high rating yes sid final thoughts score out of 10 uh let's see yeah i love this movie i love just as a horror movie it's great um i think the themes of it are so great and the the metaphor of it all the acting yeah again is so great i love that little kid he reminds me of my my nephew which is kind of creepy and endearing at the same time (laughs) um yeah boy this is just a lot better than I remember. I give this one a solid nine. So I also uh, greatly enjoy this movie, obviously. Uh, horror and sci-fi are kind of my two favorite uh, genres. So anytime we can watch anything horror or sci-fi for the podcast, I'm going to be stoked. Don't worry, folks. One day we will discuss Blade Runner 2049. But before that day can come, 
we need to buy a 4K TV. Sure. Because the deal was <laughs> that I'm not allowed to buy the 4K Blu-ray for Blade Runner 2049 until we do it for the <laughs> podcast. And I'm not going to buy that until we own a 4K TV. So one of these days. It'll be a while. One of these days we will do Blade Runner 2049, which is sci-fi. And that's how this connects. And there's your Blade Runner reference for the day. <laughs> um, yeah, I love this. I love horror in general. I don't know what I would say my favorite horror movie is. Uh, but this is definitely a very, very good one. Um, I would give it, uh, at a 10, 8.9. Okay. I think that rounds us out around the 9.2 something. Yeah. Likely. Right. Yeah. This film, the Babadook is a 9.2 something on the Western scale. Yes, it is. Boom. I don't know why that's a rim shot. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so that's it for our discussion of the Babadook, guys. If this is where you want to call it quits, that's up to you. But we do have some other things that we want to talk about. Um, and we will be doing that. And now, uh, the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about is I wanted to uh, get your guys' thoughts. Um, again, we are in the throes of 31 days of October. We're going to be talking on our mini episodes uh about these uh horror movies that we're watching this month um i'm curious to you guys uh i guess what makes a good horror film for you i think becca you mentioned you like ones that have a message apart from just being scary for the sake of being scary yes i think that's like the only way i can get through a horror film is if i feel like the characters are realistic and there's some kind of underlying good message so then what makes a movie scary for you? Well, I am like probably the most jumpy person in the world. You could say boo right now and I'd probably jump. Boo. Okay. She didn't jump. <laughs> I was being sarcastic, but I am very, very jumpy. So like jump scares really work for me and tension and everything scares me. <laughs> so... But I think I prefer tension and I prefer movies, like you said, that don't show the monster right away or like that the monster isn't something super ridiculous, that it's like more realistic. So, mm -hmm. so then what makes a movie scary to you? I think the thing that scares me the most is just scary images. I mean, jump scares are, yeah, they'll get you scared for a second, but... What stays with me is really what they put on the screen and not what jumps out at you with the loud music. Um, like in the past, I've watched, what movie was it? One Miss Call, which is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. But because it had such scary imagery, I had to sleep on the couch for three weeks. Three weeks? Three weeks. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just putting something scary on screen and not just kind of, you know, with the jump scare, it just jumps out of you and then usually it's gone. But with, you know, the scary imagery, you see it and it, like, you know, sometimes it like crawls towards you. Like the part in it with the, the thing coming down the stairs with the egg and then like it's scary to watch and then it starts like running after Ben. In <sighs> the basement of the library? Yes. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. 
Oh, because he's like dropping the eggs yeah. on the stairs. And then he's like, That's a great scene. He's like running. At, he doesn't have a head and his arms are like all contorted into his body. Scariest part of that entire movie for me. I don't know. I just think just the creative imagery is what freaks me out the most. All right. I wrote this down about this movie and I think, and that's kind of what got me thinking on this topic, but I think that what really makes a horror movie scary for me is to take something that is normal and pedestrian and make it a threat. If that makes sense. Yeah. So like this movie does that really well because there's really nothing outlandish in this movie. Like coats become scary Mm -hmm. and like, just the mom in general Mm -hmm. like it takes these normal things the tv that kind of stuff and it makes these normal things scary so like one of my favorite horror movies of all time is the changeling um i think it was made in like 1980 i don't know if either of you guys have ever seen it i've heard of it it is on the list for 31 days of october because they just came out with a new uh remastered version of it on blu-ray they like took the original uh, because if you ever watched it on like VHS or on Blu-ray, it's super shaky and like not great quality. So they they came out with a new Blu-ray version, which I'm super stoked on. Um, we haven't watched it yet, but we're going to. Um, and that movie takes bathtubs and wheelchairs and makes them horrifying. Jeez, I won't be able to take a bath after this. No. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, you will, but um, so I think that for me is is the most effective thing that a horror movie can do is take something that is normal and turn it into a threat. And I think number two on my list would be what I mentioned before. And that is, I cannot get enough of horror movies that play with your idea of reality. Like if, if I'm watching a movie and I can't tell what's real and what's not like I'm in. So I think of things like Oculus or shutter Island or, uh, you know, this movie, um, I love movies and that to me is really scary. As far as it comes, like when it comes to being scared in a movie, I think that's probably the number, like number one and number two things that do it for me is like turning normal things scary and playing with your idea of what's real and what's not. Um, and yeah. So when I'm looking at what my favorite scary movies are, they're usually going to involve, I guess, those two aspects. So we'd be curious to know what the audience thinks as well. What? Makes a movie scary to you guys. What are some of your favorite scary movies? Um, favorite scary movie moments. Favorite scary movie trends. Because for me, like jump scares just don't work. I think that I've seen enough movies, especially like PG thirteen ghost movies, that like I can smell a jump scare a mile away, mm-hmm. and like it just it just doesn't work on me anymore. Yeah. It's like, but what works on me is like making me horribly uncomfortable and putting me on edge for an hour. And then finally showing me something scary. Yeah. I, that's why I like The Strangers so much as well. It's like The Strangers is what just builds tension throughout. And I recognize that The Strangers isn't the best movie ever made. But I like it a lot for that reason. That it, it does a good job of... Um, because that takes the entire... You've seen The Strangers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it takes... I've watched it with Becca a few times. So I know that she's seen it. That's why I didn't ask. But um, it takes their entire cabin, which is a normal thing, and makes it not normal, right? Yeah. Like, just the idea, like, there's that famous scene where, you know, Liv Tyler is in the living room listening to the record player, and the dude in the mask is just, like, standing in the kitchen. And, like, just before she turns around, he walks away. 
Like then that entire cabin, which used to be a safe space is now a threat because they can just come and go as they please. You know what I mean? It's like that, that to me is what makes a horror movie effective more than anything else. Cool. Those are our thoughts on what makes a good horror movie. Let us know. Uh, send us a message on Instagram, on Facebook. You can find us at uh, facebook.com slash we watch movies and then talk about them or on Instagram at movies we watch. We'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what makes a good scary movie and what some of your favorite scary movies are. Because I like scary movies a lot. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Uh, moving on finally. Um, other movies that we've watched recently. It's been, we moved last week. So we took a week off. So it's been two weeks since we recorded a podcast. Um, unfortunately, because of said move, we haven't uh, really been able to uh, watch too many movies. So we watched last night a movie that I thought was fantastic. We watched The Death of Stalin. I don't oh, know I hear it's really good. It's it is really good. so good. Okay. I feel like it's like a new generation's Doctor Strange Love. Have you seen Doctor Strange Love? Uh, no, but it's on my list for next year. Please watch it. Okay. It's so good. Okay. And we have to watch it. Okay. As far as just like a really clever, dry, biting political comedy, it's incredible. Um, I don't want to ruin too much because it did just come out earlier this year, um, but it didn't have a huge release in the United States. So uh, if you're into political comedy, dry, very dry, very dark comedy. It's really good. Please go check it out because it's incredible. The writing on it is fantastic. The way that they, the callbacks that they have to earlier jokes, just the sheer ridiculousness of it. It's all just fantastic. I loved it so much. Um, Me too. I don't know. Have we really watched anything else? Uh, we've watched a lot of MasterChef. We watched a lot of MasterChef. We love Jerome, and I'm so glad that he won. <laughs> yes. MasterChef spoilers. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't think we've watched anything else, unless we watched anything before we moved. Not like I said, we've been we've been moving. Anybody who's moved knows what that's like. You get busy. You watch a lot of Friends. You watch a lot of Parks and Rec. Unfortunately, we haven't watched a ton of movies. I think Death of Stalin is really. Hopefully going to get us back into that groove of watching a lot of movies because 31 days of October is going to kick our butts if not. Yep. Sid, what do you got for us? I actually, in the same vein, I haven't watched that many movies. I haven't watched a single movie from my list this month. What? I'm, I know. I'm so ashamed. It's because of freaking stupid school. Screw school. School. Okay. school. But anyway, I did watch uh, season two of American Vandal. Is that worth is it? it? Oh my gosh, it was so good. Is it better than the first season? I think so. Because the first season was really good, but I don't really know where they could go with the second season. It's, they went way, way different from the first, I mean, it's the same format. Mm -hmm. Is it like a different story? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, oh my gosh, it's just so funny and it's so brilliantly written and I I watched it in probably three days. I don't know. I feel like it's, it doesn't drag as much as the first season for me. Okay. So, I feel like there's, like, more twists and turns. Um, American Vandal Season 2 on yeah. Netflix. Oh, my gosh. So good. I just remembered another movie we watched. What? Searching. Oh, oh yeah. We went and saw think? Searching. What did you think? It was good. It was good. Okay. 
It was better than I was expecting. Definitely better than I was expecting. I think the only reason we went and saw it, though, is because you told us to. 100% only reason. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) But, yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was an interesting way to film a movie and work. Here's the thing. I was really, really skeptical of the whole format. Yeah, I can see that. Um, But I thought it worked. Mm -hmm. They utilized the... uh, I guess the, the technology of FaceTime mm-hmm. allowed them to be a little bit more dynamic than I was expecting it to be as yeah. far as uh, where they were. And everything. I expected it to just be like him sitting at a computer, but they managed to have, um, I guess, integrating the news cameras specifically. Yeah, I thought that was really good. Um, allowed for a lot of different things. Um, like I told Becca, uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. It wasn't the best movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the best Apple commercial I've ever seen. Uh, nor the best Google commercial that I've ever seen because the entire movie was just a giant commercial for Apple and Google. Yep. I could just see the Apple execs cashing their checks and saying, well, looky here, our integrated ecosystem of Apple products can be used to find a missing person. And this is just the proof of that. (laughs) Tim Cook is over there just pleasuring himself in a corner to that movie, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I liked it. It was good. Um, so this isn't a movie, but it's in the same area. For my birthday, my sister got me like one of those um, movie bucket lists. It's like mm. a poster and like it's like scratch off. I don't want it's that. Like, mm. It's awesome. You like scratch off all the ones that you've seen. So now there's about 60 more movies that I have to watch. Well, that's just wow. great. Which I'm excited, but still, that's a lot. That's pretty cool. I know. I'm really excited. Um, while we're uh, talking about movies that we haven't seen and movies that we want to see, I decided that, um, in the next, uh, phase of development of my movie enjoying career, there's two paths that I want to go down. Uh, the first is films by, uh, Ingmar Bergman and, uh, Japanese cinema. So I've watched, I mean, not an excessive amount, but a decent amount of like Eastern European films, um, and that kind of, I guess, opened my eyes to a lot of things as far as movies not in English. And so I've decided that um, Japanese cinema is the next direction that I want to go in. So anybody, um, I mean, I've got a, a, a small list of films that I want to start exploring in that. But please let us know or let me know specifically any uh, Japanese films that you would like me to watch or like us to watch or that you would recommend or whatever. As well as any films by Ingmar Bergman, because I understand he has a lot of films. But he's a director that gets talked about a lot, that I haven't seen any of his films. What so. are like some of his more recognizable ones? Oh, heavens, i got to pull up a list. I'm really not familiar. It's just, I just see his name tossed around a lot. It sounds familiar. Um, we'll see what IMDb says as the top films as soon as the page will load. Let's see here. Uh, he's Swedish, apparently. Uh, Wild Strawberries, Fanny Alexander, The Seventh Seal, Persona. Oh, I've heard of The Seventh Seal, but that's it. I've heard of Persona and The Seventh Seal. Um, let's see here. Uh, the Criterion just did a, a release of Scenes from a Marriage, which looks like it's a TV miniseries. I didn't know that. Um they also did uh, Star- uh, was it? Sawdust and Tinsel. And then, again, Criterion just released, like, a box set of, like, a bunch of his films. So, I don't know. 
any of them. Like I said, there's a lot though. Mm-hmm. So anywhere that's a good place to start, please let me know, guys. But yeah, I think that might be it for today. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, for those of you who stuck around this long, we do appreciate it, and we love you. Yes, we And do. we thank you for uh, listening to us. Becca, you want to tell them where they can find us? They can find us on Facebook at our page. Facebook, <laughs> Facebook.com. You're putting me on, uh, under pressure. Facebook, <laughs> Facebook.com slash we watch movies and then talk about them. Or just go up to that handy little search bar right at the top. Search we watch movies and then talk about them. And then hit that like button so you can make sure to get updates from us. Um, also, feel free to send us a message. We do check those. Um, throw us a comment, whatever. Uh, we want to uh, know your guys' thoughts on things. Um, you can also find us at uh, Facebook or Instagram at Movies We Watch, which is usually just the same things that are posted on uh, Facebook. So, but follow us on both, and you can see our posts twice because you scroll through everybody. I know everybody that listens to this scrolls through their Facebook and Instagram feeds so fast you won't even notice if you see us twice. True. Uh, find us wherever podcasts are found: Google Play, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, Pocket Casts. All of it. We're on all of it. Spotify. And uh, tell your friends. Tell your mom. Yes. If your mom's cool, tell her. I thought we decided even if she's not. Even if she's not cool, still tell her. She might not listen because she's not cool. But But have her spread the word. Have her. You know what? Go to your mom's book club and tell them about the podcast. (laughs) Have your mom make a phone tree and just call everyone on. Have your mom watch The Babadook. Yes. Make her do it. Make her do it. Unless she's like 85. She might have a heart attack. Maybe. Yeah. That's an actual risk. Uh, but thank you for listening. We love you. We will see you uh, next week. We're going to have a lot of fun next week. Because we're going to be discussing Snowpiercer. Oh, yeah. So this is a movie that takes itself a little bit less seriously. And I'm excited to discuss it with you guys. Because it's just... We'll leave it for next week. But I'm very excited to discuss Snowpiercer. So... Please watch it. Yep. And again, we are in the throes of 31 days of October. Please join us for that. Uh, mini-sodes uh, going up once a week on that, probably on Wednesdays. So there you go. Yep. Uh, we thank you all, and we hope you have a great day. Bye. See ya. Bye.